are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Now may I remind you that at this particular point, there is no woman. The Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. There is no woman at this particular point. I'd like to say that I accept the Genesis account of the creation of the first man, Adam, and I have no difficulty at all in believing uh, what Genesis says as to the creation of the first man, Adam. I don't buy the evolution theory that uh, man evolved from some lower type of life and that way back so many millions of years ago, a man was a one-cell amoeba and later became some kind of a man-like animal and finally began walking on two feet instead of four and eventually became a man like you. And I don't buy that. That's ridiculous. Here's something I want you to think about and don't ever forget it. Uh, our history, the history of this world that you and I live on, we live here, don't we? I live at uh, number 8 Eastley Road in Greenville, South Carolina, just as real as Resaca, Georgia. Uh, this world is real, there's no doubt about it. I've traveled uh, overseas uh, six times, and uh, Europe is over there, Italy is over there, Israel is over there, Scotland is there, England is there. They're all there. This is a real world, no doubt about it. I've been down to Egypt's land, and I've visited those pyramids. Uh, those pyramids are probably uh, the oldest standing buildings uh, made by human hands in the world. And it's real. Those pyramids are there. The remains of them, the ruins of them, are there until this day. I've seen the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. And the Acropolis 2,000 years ago uh, was no doubt one of the wonders of the world. And the ruins of the Acropolis today is an astounding thing. And then I visited the ruins of Ephesus up in uh, modern Turkey. And I, I walked through the ruins of the city of Ephesus, amazed and startled in my soul that 2,000 years ago or more, men could build such majestic buildings uh, that the ruins of Ephesus contain until this day. I was dumbfounded. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I visited Pompeii, the ruins of Pompeii, the evacu evacuation of Pompeii, uh, the uh, 2,000 years ago, almost now, in 67 AD, Pompeii was destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius by volcano ash and covered. And for long centuries, the city remained covered. 5,000 people died, and uh, uh, 25,000 more were made homeless. Only in this century has Pompeii become uncovered above uh, the uh, ash of that volcanic eruption. I walked through the streets of Pompeii. And I was amazed that they could build a city like Pompeii 2,000 years ago. Now I said that to say this earth is real. It's real, there's no doubt about it. But did you know that when you go back about 3,500 B.C., history bogs down. I mean historians can't go any further back. There's just no history further back than 3,500 uh, when the pharaohs of Egypt built the pyramids that's just about as far back as history can go. And when you go back beyond 3,500 years, 
uh, you have to speculate and guess. And uh, there's no recorded history. Now, that's a very interesting thing to me. Uh, it's a fact I know a little about history. I minded the history when I was in college. And I've studied history a great deal. And what I've just said a moment ago could not be denied by any historian in the world that 3,500 years ago, history bogs down. Now, the reason for that is that 4,000 years B.C., the first man was created. There was no human family before Adam. No, there were no nations upon the earth before the ancient Egyptian empire that built the pyramids. Uh, 3,500 years ago, everybody that lived upon the earth, uh, that is B.C., lived around the Mediterranean basin. There was nobody in Russia. There was nobody in America. There was nobody in China or Japan. 3,500 B.C., everybody lived around the Mediterranean. That's the northern part of Africa and Israel and Greece and Turkey and the peninsula of Italy. 3,500 B.C., uh, all the population of the world was in that circumscribed area. But you can go back to 4,000 B.C., and you'll find that there was one spot called the Garden of Eden. And I'm of the opinion that the Garden of Eden was the Jordan Valley. We'd be all surprised. I couldn't prove that, nor could you disprove that, but I do confidently believe that there was a Garden of Eden. And the only two people alive, 4,000 B.C., was Adam and his wife, and later on their children. And they were the only people in all the world. And when Egypt built the pyramids in 3,500 B.C., uh, all the Egyptians and all the other people around the Mediterranean were the children and descendants of the first man, Adam, and his wife Eve. Now, if the evolutionists, this is what I want you to get, if the evolutionists are correct, when they say that man has been upon the earth several billions of years, then pray tell me why historians have found no trace of that. They've uncovered no fact of that. There is no indication historically that there was anybody upon this earth further back than 3,500 B.C. or 4,000 B.C. Now, you answer that for me. Now, the only logical answer is that God made the first man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden about 4,000 B.C. Now, when God took the first man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden, he had no wife, he had no companion. And then when the Lord said to the man, he had no wife, he had no companion. How long Adam remained in the Garden of Eden alone, nobody knows. Uh, he lived to be a 930-year-old man before he died. And it could have well been that Adam lived alone in the garden for a hundred years, I don't know. Ten years, I don't know. Nobody knows. The Bible doesn't say. But there was a period of time between the creation of the first man, Adam, and the formation of the bride from the rib taken from the side of man. There was that period of time from the creation of Adam to the formation of the bride was ten years or a hundred years. Nobody knows, but no one could deny that there is a period of time between the two events. And so you have the first of these two events in verses 15 and 16, when the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. And when God commanded the man and said, Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. God didn't put Adam on a diet. Help yourself, Adam. If you eat one apple, you want two, eat two. If you want uh, eat one banana, and you want another, eat another. Thou mayest freely eat. Eat all you want. Uh, I'm glad for that, amen. Verse 17, but the one restriction, but 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For on the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die spiritually. Now there's one prohibition. Great liberty, freely eat, but one prohibition. You know how marvel sometimes we believers uh, emphasize our prohibitions. You know, I've, I've been saved a long time, about 52 or 3 years. And I have a lot of license, a lot of liberty, a lot of things I can do. Only a few things I cannot do. And those few things that I cannot do are so uh, so small and insignificant that I don't, I don't especially want to spend my time on my prohibitions. Uh, most of us groan under our prohibitions. We can't do this or we can't do the other. Why don't you shout about your liberties in the Lord? We have so many things we can do. We have so many li- so much license in the grace of God that enables us to li- live abundantly. And uh, so one prohibition, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Somebody said, what kind of tree is that? The Bible didn't say. We have no way of knowing. Tradition says an apple, a tree. Nobody knows for sure about that. But there was one tree in that garden clearly marked out. God pointed out Adam was inexcusable. Adam knew exactly what tree it was, where the tree was located, and why he was not to eat that fruit. It was forbidden fruit. Don't you eat it? The moment you do, you're going to die spiritually. And so Adam didn't argue with the Lord. He just uh, didn't eat that fruit. And Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'll make him a happy point. Now in verse 19, I'm told that out of the ground, the Lord God also formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And that tells me that God is not only the creator of the first man, Adam, but he's the creator of all the animal kingdom as well. God made the horse. God made uh, the cow. God made the sheep. God made the, uh, the monkey. Uh, God made the chicken. God made the eagle. God made the sparrow. Everything that was created was made by Almighty God. And that tells, uh, verse 19 tells me that. Now, when God made all the animal kingdom, he did a most unusual thing in verse 19. He brought all that creation to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. One day the Lord said, Adam, I want you to stand over here on the side of the matter. Just Adam by himself. No woman, just Adam by himself. And I'm going to bring all that I've created by, everything that I've created by, and I want you to name everything that I've created. And Adam saw the most uh, a spectacular parade of animals any human eyes ever seen. I've seen a few animals, but I'm sure that there are many animals in the world that I've never seen and probably never will. But everything that God made, uh, Adam saw. Two by two, male and female, they were brought by yes, an animal, male and female, in the original creation, no doubt. Uh, God created the animal kingdom so... When Adam saw the elephant, he said elephant. God said, that's the name. Here's a lion. Male and female combined. Adam saw the lion. He said lion. God said, that's the name. Here's a lot of eagle coming by male and female. And Adam said eagle. God said, that's the name. Right down through the line. Now, that doesn't par with what the teacher over at the high school here in Reseca and Dalton and Calhoun. The teacher over at the high school in Calhoun that way back so many millions of years ago, the first man had no vocabulary. The early man couldn't talk. 
And then he drew pictures on the walls of his cave, and he pointed to certain things and groaned. And finally, over so many thousands of years, eventually developed a vocabulary. But the early man had no vocabulary. He couldn't talk. He had, he was not an intelligent man like you are uh, in this day. Now that's as ridiculous and as foolish as anything can be. Pray tell me how Adam could name all the beasts of the field if he had no vocabulary. Pray tell me how God could talk with Adam if Adam couldn't do anything more than grunt and talk back by pointing it with God. No, no. I think when God made the first man, he gave him a vocabulary. And he knew how to talk, and he did talk. And he communed with God from the Garden of Eden. So I don't buy the idea that the early man was a cave man, half animal and half human. I don't buy that. I think the first man, Adam, walked on two feet just like you. I think the first man, Adam, was one of the most handsome uh, specimen of, of manhood that's ever walked upon this earth. I think the first man, Adam, had a high IQ, probably much higher than me or you. Sure I do. And so Adam named every living creature. Now in the process of naming all this uh, animal kingdom, uh, he God saw uh, an inco incompleteness in his creation. In verse 18, God said, having seen that incompleteness, it's not good for man to be alone. And then Adam, for the first time in his life, when, he's, when he uh, named the animal kingdom, and saw the fellowship of male and female among the animal kingdom and among the, the uh, fowls of the year. For the first time, Adam felt the sting of loneliness. Adam knew nothing about loneliness until that moment. He was the only man in the world. No other man in the world except Adam. The animal kingdom was evidently around him. And he might have had some fellowship uh, with the animal kingdom. I mean, he walked among them, no doubt. And the animals were in subjection to him, no doubt. This is before the fall, and there was no fierceness among the animals on that day. Uh, but there was no other human being upon the earth except Adam. But when he saw the fellowship between male and female, the companionship between male and female, he for the first time felt the sting of loneliness. And therefore, God said, it's not good for man to be alone, not even in paradise. And so the Lord said, I'm going to form a woman and give him a helpmeet and a bride and a companion. And guess what happened? Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Yes, the first man ever put to sleep for surgery. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and Adam slept soundly. So soundly until God removed the rib from his side. And with that rib, and closed the flesh up instead thereof, and with the rib, which the Lord God had taken for man, made he a woman and brought her to the man. Now, preacher, wait a minute. You, you're calling upon an intelligent congregation of people here at Faith Bible Camp to believe that. Why, don't you know that's a legend? Don't you know that's a myth? No, the fact is, I don't know that at all. I believe sincerely this is exactly the record as to how it happened. Well, that's too miraculous. Life is miraculous, my soul. Life is miraculous. And who am I to indict the Creator for what the Creator does? The truth is, I don't even understand how I'm here. And my birth was a very natural, very normal birth. I was born May the 15th, 1914, so my mother says. 
I take your word for it. I don't remember it. You don't remember yours. But I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't commence to be on the, on my birthday. Not by any means. Nine months earlier, in the fall of 1913, I was conceived. And the very split second, not an hour later, but the very split second of my conception, when God said, live, that moment, I began to live. Now, has it occurred to you that the moment of my conception, the complexion of my skin was fixed, the color of my hair was fixed, the color of my eyes was fixed, the shape of my body was fixed, the shape of my hands was fixed, my mental IQ was fixed, everything that I am commits to be not May the 14th, 1914, but nine months earlier, the moment of my conception, everything about me was predetermined. Now, had you seen me an hour after I was conceived, you'd have never recognized me. You might have looked at me under a microscope with a skilled eye, but you'd never recognize me. You could not even determine whether I'd be a boy or a girl when I was conceived. But God knew. It was determined. In the economy of God, at the moment of my conception, that I be a male child. I didn't develop into a male child during the nine-month period, no. But the moment of my conception, it was determined then that I'd be a male child. Now, to tell you the truth, I don't understand that. Now, you don't understand that either. Nobody understands that. Who am I to indict the Almighty when I can't even figure out how I got here? I don't understand my own physical birth, my own natural birth. Nobody understands the miracle of life. And when you look at it from that perspective, then why would you doubt that God could take a rib from the side of the first man and make a woman? God can make me as he made me, and if God can make you as he made you, then why can't God make a woman from the rib of the first man Adam? Oh, yes. Well, I believe what the Bible says, whether you accept it or not. Now, God made the first woman. I believe he was undoubtedly the most attractive, the most beautiful woman, probably, that has ever walked in this world. Amen. She had not one physical flaw or imperfection. Everything that a woman could desire for herself, God gave to Eve, and God gave to Adam through Eve, no doubt. And when Eve was made... God took her and stood her at the feet of Adam. And when finally Adam began to open his eyes, coming out from that deep sleep, he saw the hemp meat that God made, and he cried out, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he said, Woman, she shall be called is high. Woman, lover, lover. I saw that word lover last night in the uh, in Hosea. You tell your mother, children, tell your uh, mother, if she'll come home, that I'll, I'll teach you to call me Ishai. No longer shall she call me Baalai, which means master. But I'll get so involved that she becomes, can come, uh, become so involved with me until she can call me love her. And that's the relationship me and you ought to enjoy with the Lord. So intimate and so tender and so, so close until we have the fellowship of love between Jesus and yourself. And he cried out, woman. Because she's taken from the side of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. 
and they shall be one flesh. That sounds like Romans chapter number 14, doesn't it? But here it is, Genesis 2, verse number 24. Now, how did Adam find out about a mother and daddy? He had neither. How did Adam find out about the relationship of a husband and wife? He'd never had that experience. The only answer to verse number 24 is that God, somewhere along the line, sat Adam down and taught him his will about the husband-wife relationship and the marriage relationship. And that's why Adam could say, Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, my, my mother and daddy are gone. But when my mother and daddy were alive, if my daddy come to me and said, Now, son, you've been married to this woman for a long time, and I think you ought to give some loyalty to your mother and to me, uh, and put your wife uh, down the line, and, and spend, spend more time with us. I would have said, now, Dad, I appreciate you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. But the one closer to me in the world is not you, nor my mother. Put respect to my heart. But I say it upon the authority of the Scripture, the one person closer to me than any other person in the world is my wife. And that's the way it ought to be. And if you ever get to the point where it's not that way in your family, there's something wrong domestically. A man shall say, goodbye, mother, goodbye, daddy, and cleave to his wife. Hold on to your wife. And you preachers, by the way, you can never have but one. You sure better develop that one and love that one. If you lose that one, you're gonna. As far as the ministry is concerned, you're gonna. You say, well, I'll put away and marry another. You may as well turn in your ordination papers when you do. You're finished. Cherish your wife. Love your wife. Be kindly to your wife. Respect your wife. Admire your wife. God will bless you if you'll do it. And God will curse you if you don't do it. Now in verse 25, here's a dispensation the theologians call the dispensation of innocency. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now there's some naive people in the world today who call themselves nudists. And they base their philosophy upon this verse of scripture. But they grossly fail to recognize that here is a state of perfection. The environment is perfect. There is no sin. There is no devil on the scene at this particular point. How long this dispensation of innocency continued? That is to say, how long Adam lived in this condition with his wife Eve, nobody knows. He was created at this point. God gave him a hep meat at this point. And then he continued with that hep meat uh, uh, during that dispensation of innocency. And how long that is, nobody knows. Maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years, nobody knows. But in that period, no sin Nothing that uh, would defile or bring dishonor to God. And they lived together in perfect unity and perfect harmony and perfect sinlessness for a period of time in verse 25. Then, chapter 3, 1, the serpent is introduced in the scene. Here's the first mention of the devil in the Bible. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman made the fatal mistake of trying to argue with the devil and reason with the devil, and she answered and said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now I must stop to say that, uh, that Eve misquoted God there. She's a typical woman preacher. Uh, she made, 
she made two statements that actually God did not say. Uh, she said, uh, "Ye may." She said, "God said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it." Now God didn't say, "Neither shall you touch it." In fact, God commanded Adam to keep the garden, and the implication is rather strong that he had to touch the tree in order to keep it. The Lord didn't say, "Neither shall you touch it." She added two. And then she said, lest you die. God did not say, lest you die. God emphatically said, thou shalt surely die. So she misquoted what God had said. And then the serpent said, ye shall not surely die. And then the devil went on to say, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now there are three points in the devil's sermon to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Point number one. He questioned God's word, verse number one. Yea, hath God said. Point number two, ye shall not surely die. He air-conditioned hell and said there is no hell, and you'll not have to pay for your sin, so help yourself, just enjoy life, do what you want to do. He believed in situation ethics. Do what you want to do, ye shall not surely die. He denied the fact of punishment upon sin. And then point number three, he said, if you, if you eat that forbidden fruit, you can lift yourself by your own bootstraps, uh, straps, and you can become his gods, and you'll not need Calvary. You can save yourself. Now the devil is a liar, and his sermon is perverted, as you well know. Then in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took the fruit thereof and did eat. Now may I remind you that here are the three avenues that every single person in the earth is tempted. Down to all the years, the devil, the devil tempts the last one of us in these three channels. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eye. And number three, the pride of life. And they're always in that order. They're always in that order. In youth, the great temptation is the lust of the flesh. In middle life, the great battleground is the lust of the eye. In later life, the great battleground is the security, uh, is recognition, is prestige. Security, prestige is the battleground of men 60 and 70 years of age if they live that long. Always these temptations come in that chronological order. The same three temptations the devil brought to my Lord in Matthew 4, and they're in the same order. And the devil, fight, uh, Jesus battled the devil in the same three channels of temptation. And so Eve yielded and took the fruit and did eat. And the moment she ate that fruit, she fell and was ashamed and began to blush and began to try to cover her nakedness. Now where Adam was, I do not know, the Bible doesn't say. But when Adam came back to his wife after she had fallen, he was theologian enough to know what had transpired. She didn't have to tell him. He knew what had transpired because he had never seen his wife blush. He knew what had transpired because he had never seen his wife try to cover her nakedness. There was no need to cover her nakedness. She didn't know what it meant to blush prior to the fall. And when Adam came back and saw his wife flushed in her face and with her hand trying to cover her nakedness, he knew at the glance of the eye. What had happened? And he said, give me the fruit. And she gave it to him, and he did eat also with his wife Eve. Adam took that forbidden fruit. Now, that brings me to a very important question that I want to answer 
in the closing moments of the message. Why did Adam take that fruit? The fall of Adam. Why did Adam take that fruit? Now, there are two New Testament verses that I want you to mark in the margin of your Bible in Genesis chapter number 2. The first of those is 1 Timothy 2.14. In that verse, just mark it there with your pencil in the margin. In that verse, Paul said, Adam was not deceived, but Eve was beguiled. Not Adam. Eve was beguiled. Adam was not deceived. No. Now, the New Testament clearly says that. And then the other scripture that I want you to mark is Romans 5.14. The first man, Adam, is a type of the second man, Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, number 14. Those two verses, I think, are the key that will unlock the subject that I suggested a moment ago. The fall of Adam. Why did Adam take that fruit? Now, I think we understand why Eve took it. She was beguiled. She was deceived. She listened to the devil's servant. And the devil was so persuasive until he overwhelmed Eve and she took that fruit and did eat. And her eyes were open. The moment she ate and she fell and was a sinner, the moment she ate. And when Adam came back to where his wife was and saw what had happened, he said, give them the fruit. And she gave also to Adam and he did eat and became numbered with the bride in her fall. Now three reasons why Adam did not Take that forbidden fruit. Three negative things I say. Number one, you couldn't say that Adam took that fruit because he was ignorant. If anybody in the world was instructed, it was Adam. All that he knew about that one prohibition was what Adam had instructed her. It was to Adam God said, Thou mayest eat freely of any fruit of all the trees of the garden with one exception. And so Adam was well informed. He was not ignorant. When he took the forbidden fruit, he could not plead ignorance. And then again, Adam could not plead the fact that he didn't know the penalty involved. Because God spelled the penalty out to Adam. God said, Adam, the day you eat that fruit, thou shalt surely die. And Adam knew better than Eve. Adam knew better than me and you. That the moment he ate that food, food, he would die. The curse of God and the curse of sin would be upon him. And then he took the fruit, knowing the penalty involved. And then third, you couldn't say that Adam just couldn't help himself. When I was a young fellow, preachers preaching on the fall of Adam, or Genesis chapter two, number two, gave me the idea that the sin was so great and whatever the fruit was was so appetizing and so desirable until Adam just couldn't say no. Well, now that's just not a matter of fact. Uh, some of you, most of you, I believe in you. I believe you love the Lord. I have no reason to doubt it. I believe Brother Robert Taylor loves the Lord. I have no doubt in my mind that his wife loves the Lord. And I certainly have no doubt about your brother Turner here on the platform. I believe the dear man loves God. Amen. Same with Brother Sandy. And many others of you, these Burns are singers. I've known them all their lives. They love the Lord. I have no doubt about your testimony. Not any at all. Many godly people. And you said no to the devil since you've been on this camp, possibly. Now, if you can say no to the devil in this day of total depravity with the devil loose, with temptation abroad in the land, why couldn't Adam have said no to the devil in the Garden of Eden with no 
uh, uh, depraved environment with a perfect situation, relatively speaking? Why could he not have said no? The fact is, he could have said no. Adam could have taken his wife by the hand and led her to the gate of the garden and driven her out into the night. He could have done that. He, he was king of that domain. He could have well done that, but he didn't do that. He delivered it with his eyes open, said, give her the fruit. And she gave him the fruit, and he did eat. He could have said no, but he didn't say no. He took it voluntarily and ate that fruit voluntarily. Now, when I saw that, that changed the Bible to me from black and white to color. When I saw that for the first time, I cried out in my soul, Oh, God, how wonderful that is. And I'd like to remind you that my second man, Adam, could have said to the Almighty God, Let that crowd of Gentiles go to hell. But the second man, Adam, said, Lord God, if you'll let me, I'll be born of a virgin and I'll condescend. I'll lay aside the robe of glory that I've had from the foundation of the world. And I'll go down there and become a pauper. I'll be born in a manger. And I'll die from the cross, forsaken by man and God. And I'll suffer and bleed and die. In order that I might redeem that Gentile bride to myself. When I saw that, I wanted to say glory, hallelujah, praise God. The first man, Adam, is a type of the second man, Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Adam could have said no, but he didn't say no. He said, give me the fruit. And he took the fruit and did eat it. Now I want to give you three positive reasons why Adam took that fruit. Number one, Adam took that fruit because he loved his bride more than life. Now I want to say the only explanation of Calvary is that. You know, the liberals sometimes in our day, the historians in our day, sometimes try to rationalize Calvary. Why Calvary? Why did a man live a noble life, a, a sacrificing life, a good life, and then die upon a gory cross? And they try to rationalize it. They try to figure it out. For my soul, it's already been figured out in the economy of God from the foundation of the world. If you just believe it. Amen. Jesus loved the Gentile bride. Now that's the thing that I can't really figure out. Why God would love me. Why God would love you. When I have no merit. When I have no worth. When I have nothing lovable. When I have no heritage. When if I went to hell, God would be nonetheless off. Worse off. Why God would save me when I'm worthless. That's the thing I can't figure out. The love of God. Oh, love of God that would love a Gentile. Nobody like we are. But Adam loved that bride that God gave him more than he loved his life. And he said, if I can't have my bride, then I'll die with her. And he said, I'd rather have death and I'd rather have judgment. I'd rather have condemnation than not to have my bride. And my, my soul, that's exactly what the second man Adam said to the Almighty 2,000 years ago when he voluntarily left heaven and took upon himself the form of sinful flesh and suffered and bled and died upon Calvary. I'd rather have all that than have my bride than to continue in heaven. With my bride lost on the way to hell in the earth. 
So Jesus left heaven and came down into this earth and did a work of grace upon Calvary that included your Gentile bride like me and you. So Adam took that fruit because he loved his bride more than he loved life. Second, he took that fruit because it was the only way that he could ever have fellowship again with his wife. Don't you know when God made Eve and gave Eve to Adam that he enjoyed her companionship and her fellowship? Do you enjoy the companionship and fellowship of your wife? My wife stays at home. She's a keeper of the house. And I, I marvel that I've got that kind of a wife. Never has complained one time about my being gone. She wants me to go preach. She keeps the house. And occasionally she'll get to go with me. The other day I carried her with me up in the Indiana. For a whole week. I was with my wife for a whole week. And we laughed about it and joked about it and talked about it and reveled about it and enjoyed it so much. I find myself just looking at her once in a while and saying, oh, what a pearl. What a jewel I've got. I enjoy my fellowship with my wife. I, 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 I called her last night and she said, I've been on, I, I've been walking the floor. Why are you so late? Call it. I said, we had a long-winded preacher. <laughs> But she said, I want to hear. How wonderful to have that kind of fellowship. I enjoy the fellowship of my bride. She's been my bride of 42 years. I have more joy with her than I had the day we were married. Wonderful experience. I, I sometimes think about the sunset. At one of these sunsets, she's going. And I should be left alone. I dread to think of that. At one of these sunsets, I'm going. And she's going to be left alone. I dread to think of that. But it's as sure to happen as tomorrow. I had an old brother in my church a few years ago. And his wife so greatly in love until she prayed that they could die together. And be buried together. I mean, she prayed that for years and years and years. And you know, that old brother went to the hospital one day and died. And the family came home and told Mama, Mama. And she laid her head back and closed her eyes and died. And two days later, I had two caskets in front of me. And I buried them both at the same time. Well, I don't know that that's going to happen in my case. I have not prayed that, by the way. But, oh, that's real fellowship, isn't it? That's real fellowship. And Adam, no doubt, enjoyed his wife those years they were together in the Garden of Eden so intimately and so closely what good fellowship, what good companionship, and now it's gone. How could a holy man who had never sinned have any communion with a woman with a face blushed and with her hands trying to cover her nakedness? How could they have any fellowship? How can two walk together except that they agree? There was no possibility of communion now that Eve has beguiled and Eve had fallen. There was no way for fellowship. Adam could not fully understand the frame of his wife after she had fallen. No way. And so Adam said, give me the fruit. I'm going to condescend. You can't come where I am, but I can come where you are. Give me the fruit. And he took the fruit and condescended and came where he was and walked with her and wept with her and suffered with her and rejoiced with her 
and was hungry with her, had children with her, and was touched to the feet of her infirmities. And he learned her plight and her state by his condescension. I'd like to remind you that my dear Lord, who left glory, and left all the angels, came down into this earth and took a body that could sweat and grow hungry and weary, and took a body that could die, took a body that was persecuted and misunderstood, that he might be touched with my infirmities. He knows my frame. He knows my weakness. Not because he read it, but because he has experienced it. I have a high priest touched with a feeling of my infirmities. Therefore, able to succor you and I. My Lord has fellowship with me today. And it's not by any merit of mine, but by his own condescension, he has fellowship with me. And he knows my frame. When I'm tempted, he says, son, I had that temptation. When I'm weary, he says, son, I know you need to go to bed. Go lie down and sleep. When I'm lonely, he says, I understand that. Many a time I spent the night alone in the garden. When I'm hungry, he said, go ahead and stop, son, get something. Many a time I had to stop and pull ears of corn off and eat because I was hungry. When I'm persecuted, he says, son, they persecuted me. I understand. Just go right on. Go right on. He's touched with my infirmities. And the reason is because he condescended to have fellowship with the bride. Then the third reason Adam took that fruit was because it was the only possible way to redeem a fallen bride. Adam was theologian enough to know that if he condescended and became a husband, and she became a wife to him, if he condescended to her, lo, he stayed. That from her loins, and God spelled it out in the same chapter, verse 15, that from her loins, a man-child one day would come who would pay the sin debt both for Adam and for Eve and redeem them both from the curse of sin. So Adam said, I'm going to continue with my wife. And I'd like to remind you that that seed came. In the dispensation of the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was born, and he obediently died upon the cross to redeem the first man, Adam, and his fallen bride, and all of their children. And I'd like to say that I have been redeemed by that second man, Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the fall of Adam. Why? I hope it'll make you love the Lord and the gospel a bit more. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.